Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and we have with us a very special guest. Please welcome back to the show, Frankie Muniz. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, it's been a while since we've heard your your dulcet tones on the show. What you been up to? Um, you know, just just keeping up with the with the racing. I've uh, taken to restoring uh, Coleco uh, mini arcade machines. No, oh, okay. oh, really? I just nab up as many of them as I can and get in there and uh, fiddle with their their innards, <laughs> so to speak. How's the olive oil business going? Oh, it's going great. I mean, it practically runs itself these days. Um, but I still, you know, I still am there from open to close every day, um, six days a week. So. Good. I have to confess, I haven't had a chance to make it out there yet. But you know. oh, uh, well, you know, you, the door is always open unless unless it's off hours, then it will be closed. But if you can't make it during our regular hours, we can always uh, set up, and I'll I'll come in and and uh, open the store for you. So if I wanted to go, say, on Christmas Day at 9 a.m., if I made an appointment, would that be okay? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really see why not. Um, of course, it's situational, but uh, you might want to give me a little more warning than usual. Like, maybe call me a couple hours ahead of time. Okay. Well, this is three months or so in advance. So. Yeah. Well, is that if you're planning on that, you know, if that's your, your uh, only time that you can make it. I've looked at my schedule. That's no, it. You, you can't make any of the other uh, times that we're actually open. Then, yeah, we'll we'll do our best. I suppose I could, but it's slightly less convenient for me. Oh well, we—that's kind of our motto at uh, Munez Pressings. We don't want to slightly inconvenience any of our customers. <laughs> it actually says that on the door and on the every bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Easy open, I might add. Munis, Munis pressings. Uh, yeah. So you you changed the name from outrageous olive oils and vinegars. Uh, well, oh, sorry. Um, outrageous olive oils and vinegars. That's our that's our storefront. Uh, sorry for the confusion. Munez uh, uh, pressing is our um, manufacturing area where the sausage is made, so to speak, or the oil in this case. Sausage oil. oil. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, all, we're uh, we're actually thinking of expanding the line into sausage oils as well because there's really a lot of oil. Really, you can get oil out of almost anything. <laughs> and we're we're really trying to push the boundaries of of what oil can be. Hmm. Can you get oil from like uh, um, I don't know sunflower seeds? Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Really? Huh. Yeah. What about peanuts? Um. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's cutting edge, but we are we are getting oil from peanuts now too. But not like corn or anything, right? Mm, we're that's still in the works. We're we're working on a way to um, extract the oil from corn, but we've just been we've been having trouble getting our hands on enough corn. What about like shale or something? Can you get oil from like shale? Um, if you put it through the right processes, you might be able to get something that could be fit for human consumption. But also, I mean, we oil doesn't need to just be for for humans. Is oh, you mean for like dogs? Yeah, dog oils. Um, not or for dogs. Oils for dogs. For like their fur? Uh, yeah, you can you can you know work it into their fur, or you can um add a little bit to their food to aid in their digestion food, their food tube uh yes if your dog has a food tube <laughs> it, it also works as a good lubricant for the food tube uh, to kind of keep it in good condition keep it from cracking and degrading over time sure oiling it up what's your best selling dog oil um is it baby oil well we <laughs> we've we try to avoid giving uh, baby oil to the to the dogs so that they don't get any like bad ideas, you know, because we, we tried that for a while and we got complaints that um, people's dogs wouldn't stop licking their babies. Um, Once they get a taste, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then they got to at least check too. (laughs) like any oil on this baby. Well, you know, give a couple licks just in case, you know, get to be a little bit of a nuisance. 
So we've uh, been trying to market our uh, our emu oils for the for the dogs. What's an, what's an emu oil? Um, well, it's what it's short. It's short for emule, which is um, like kind of a high tech beast of burden that we've actually been working on genetically engineering over at uh, Munez Labs. Where is Munez Labs? It's probably best if I don't give a specific location at this time, um, just because of kind of the sensitive nature of some of the uh, some of our work there. I mean, it seems like you don't just have one storefront; you have a whole like series of companies, like some gigantic conglomerate. Um, we're we're working on it. We we do have <laughs> and we do have a lot of partners that we work with, and we're trying to really get um, not just expand the oil business horizontally but we're also really trying to to vertically integrate as well <laughs> what does that mean it means like that so i needed some emule oil um but i i was having trouble finding a good source of emule as well you know if you if you need something done right you do it do it yourself so that's kind of uh what i've been what i've been trying to do now <laughs> so what ha- what happens when if you want something done right, you do it yourself. But when you do it yourself, it's still wrong. Well, um, then you just pick a different goal. And sometimes if you shift the goal, move the goalposts, you can actually be right. Uh. Then you've solved kind of two problems. At least that's always been our, our business motto. One of our many business mottos. What are you developing in your lab these days? Like what, what should we be expecting to see in your storefront? in the next, you know, at Christmas when I come in? Well, um, one thing we've really been working on is invisible oil. Now that people are really kind of watching what they eat, we find that our customers will actually use more of our oil if they can't actually see it. And they do like to put more on, but sometimes it's, you know, it just takes kind of the visual barrier out of it. And we find uh, it's really upped our sales. And, you know, it has other uses too, just besides eating. How do people know when the bottle's empty? Um, do they just pour it out and then they realize that nothing came out? Yeah, we've actually, so that's another thing we're working on in the lab is um, a smart bottle technology to tell the customer when uh, their invisible oil is gone. And we've found that the most effective way to do that is just to set a timer for one week after opening, because that's usually when it happens anyway. We're, we're working on getting it smarter, but right now it's at least a smarter bottle. So what happens when people spill invisible oil? Does it just become impossible to clean up? Well, they... I assume this has happened at the lab at some point. Yes, and we did have some big problems at first with people taking uh, just absolutely hilarious spills, but it was, it was getting to be a... a a dangerous problem we that's another use we've found for our emules is that they actually their hooves are are slip resistant and they just have a endless taste for this invisible oil so if we send the emules out they'll actually clean it up for us pretty effectively and safely but then how do you stop the emules from consuming the rest of the invisible oil like the dogs and the babies oh well so we've actually invented a um an emule bittering agent uh, that you can add to your invisible oil to make it safer. Um, and humans don't detect this. It's just the emules that find it bitter. And it's actually just kind of a quirk of their programming. Interesting. Okay. Enough. But what if you added that to protect against the emules and then you spilled it? Exactly. This is my question as well. Well, so there's, there's also... We have a bitterant digester as well, and that can be part of the cleanup process. If, <laughs> and some of this is still kind of trial and error because if you have a spill and you find that they're not, they're not cleaning up the oil, sometimes you will have to add the um, debittering agent to make it more palatable again. Now, it's not perfect. They don't like it as much as oil that has never had the bittering agent added, but they still will finish it. <laughs> This seems like a lot of work for a product that I'm not sure anyone really was clamoring for. Well, um, we have a motto at Muniz Industries that says, don't, don't prepare for the market that is. Prepare for the market you want. 
<laughs> and this is kind of the future we'd really like to see. And we're doing our best to, to make that happen. And so remind me what the advantages of invisible oil are. Well, we, we found it really drives demand. Um, <laughs> I meant from the customer's <laughs> point of view. Well, it can be a benefit too for the customer. You know, the more you <laughs> use, because um, if you use the amount you truly want, then you, you have a more enjoyable experience, whatever the use for your oil. Um, don't they just have a more enjoyable experience with the visible oil? Well, there are some customers who prefer the visible, but the invisible oil also helps. It helps restaurants um, to increase their taste without, um, you know, increase the the oil flavor in their dishes without um, customers complaining about it, like being really like soaked in oil. Um, Even though it, it really tastes can add like to the soaked in oil. Well, yeah, but it's like a really good. Like it's it's more of a visual complaint. Um, we found you know we we can get customers that rich oil flavor they want while while keeping the aesthetic appeal of the dish. What's the uh, what's the caloric content of invisible oil? Um, we've actually managed to double the caloric content to uh, eighteen calories per gram versus traditional you know fat, uh, which I I think is just going to be a big win for society and really the planet that we're able to pack so much into a small package or a large package a large dense package so what happens at the restaurants where they're slathering everything in invisible oil do the customers just get massively fatter and don't realize it some of them might but uh we haven't uh found any conclusive evidence of causation in any of the studies that we've sponsored hmm. who do you sponsor these studies with um, coke industries I assume. yeah yeah um, dennis coke is a is a good <laughs> as a you know kind of a longtime friend and and partner to munis industries so charlie's gonna walk into your shop christmas morning 9 a.m he's yep. he's, he's gonna be covered in and bitter baby invisible oil. Yeah. Yep. Bitter. The bittering complete with bittering agent. Yep. yep. I'm going to come in like that. I'm going to pre-oil myself. Point, okay. I assume by that point you, yeah, you just won't know that you did it because it's invisible. Well, that's true. I could already be oiled up. Yeah, I think the invisible oil has the, it is beginning to spread. <laughs> it's not ominous sounding at all. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean that it's a good thing. We want we want all of our customers to enjoy this product safely and everywhere. We will, of course, you know, distribute bitter bittering agent. We're beginning to deploy some emule test plots um, to kind of experiment with. I don't want to say cleanup because really the invisible oil makes actually enhances the natural ecosystem but uh wait how does it enhance the natural ecosystem well so what it does is it it coats the the biosphere with um this nutritious and calorie rich um, food source to uh sort of disrupt the the natural food chain so that we don't actually need it anymore and you know like we we do like to think of ourselves as a kind of disrupting the the industry um, as well as the ecosystem, we uh, we move fast and we fail fast, but but in like a good way. You know, as a Hollywood television star and race car driver, I guess I always saw you more as like a James Bond type as opposed to like a James Bond villain type. But I think we're learning a lot about you today. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said James. I should have said Agent Cody Banks. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I like to think of ourselves as creating the environment in which the next Cody Banks can um, can rise. Ourselves? <laughs> there are more than one of you? Do you um, have like a cloning facility? Possibly with a dome somewhere? We've been working with uh, partners on genetic technology in that vein. Yes. I, I am most certainly the original Frankie Muniz though. You can you can even, trust me on that one. Even though you're technically Frankie Muniz the fourth? Uh yes. Yes. I am the original and the fourth. 
the original fourth, I mean. Uh-huh. Original fourth Frankie Muniz. How's your uh, Banks? Was it a reboot or a sequel? I guess I don't remember at this point. But your Banks movie, how's that coming along? The Agent Cody Banks reboot? Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was a reboot or a sequel. The one that you was just going to be called Banks? Um, I, well... I, I'm referring to a previous conversation we had, not a real life story. Yeah, I actually don't remember this off the top of my head. Um, uh, it's it's coming along well. We've had some uh, some production issues, um, you know, mainly some logistical um, concerns with kind of some of the staffing choices we've made. Um, but I think it's going to work out in the long run. I mean, I've heard you had to rewrite the, the the script a few times at this point. Yeah, we did. We kind of we kind of did that retroactively, kind of as part of the deal for funding the film. Dennis has generously uh, partnered with us to provide citizens from the dome that you were speaking of earlier. We've kind of had some issues because of how similar they look to each other or identical. So we've kind of morphed that into a plot point. And I think actually it's with those limitations has actually brought out some even more creative ideas, you know, because what's better than not just one Agent Cody Banks, but maybe two or three dozen Agent Cody Banks. Now I had heard on a, might've been TMZ, not sure. I'd heard that the latest version of the script had been rewritten so that Cody Banks was, was now in charge of a, multi-billion dollar conglomeration of of companies intent on cornering all markets but he was still the hero of the piece is uh is that correct well i don't i don't want to get too far into spoilers but uh that is kind of the that is the direction that we are taking i really think that audiences are gonna really like it especially if they're kind of familiar with the other kinds of good work we've been doing around the world so in some ways, this is a this is a promotional film for for Muniz uh, Enterprises Industries. I don't I don't I guess I lost track of which one was the the overarching shell company. Well, I I haven't I, I have discussed Muniz Industries, um, but we have uh, partners far and wide that you probably may or may not have encountered, but. Uh, I would I would hesitate to call it a promotional film. I think it's more it just has a message that I think will resonate with the public, especially those who are familiar with with uh, our work. So you're not worried about um, a movie that essentially portrays a Bond style villain as the the hero of the piece? As you're not worried about that doing poorly in uh, in cinemas? Uh, no, no, I don't think so because I I don't think it's really gonna be a Bond style villain. You know, they the thing with Bond style villains is they always took it just a, just a little bit too far. But if they would have you know stopped short of you know actually threatening the world with destruction, then they could have accomplished a lot more and had a lot more uh, kept a lot more people on their side. It's more of a a reimagining or a a deconstruction of the bond villain trope with some key key changes all right well thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us on the podcast we're, we're happy to have you back thanks for having me back it's it's always a pleasure yeah let's see uh, well christmas at the latest i suppose yeah yeah uh, if, if not before all right so farewell frankie muniz and then welcome to the podcast paul wilcox hey uh it's great to be back so it's great to have you. I, maybe I'm mistaken, but I could swear I just saw Frankie Muniz and Frankie Muniz come and pick up Frankie Muniz from the studio. Um, I I might be imagining things because they were all wearing sunglasses, so I, it couldn't be definitive, but it looks like there were a few Frankie's Muniz out there. Um, Did you have them? Unfortunately, um we had to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement, so we can neither confirm nor deny anything you may have seen outside the studio. Oh, okay. I guess we'll. I guess you'll have to listen to the podcast when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what they let you release. I suppose. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, late breaking development. <laughs>
Doug has sent some podcast content to us since he couldn't be here today. Oh. Apparently, it's an article about a gigantic cat. Like a, like a panther? <laughs> it looks like it. It's a 28-pound chonky cat. Oh, I just oh. I just saw something about this. Apparently not a fat cat, just very, very large. Oh. I mean, I don't know I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> Scanning through this article, but it is a real life chonky cat. They do exist. It has like wildcat markings almost, kinda bobcat esque. Bobcat esque. Yeah, this kind of a cat is this. It's like uh it's like it's very large. Is it an ocelot? It might be. Wow. You just take any animal and call it a chonky cat. His head is like kind of like, at least in the pictures I'm seeing, it's like rivaling human head size. Maybe not quite, but big cat. All right. Well, we tried, Doug. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it, like a real, a real hefty chonk. Yeah. Not sure what else not, we can say about this picture of a cat. Not a lot. He coming. <laughs> Probably just a hefty chonk. It's true. So in any case, I, I have I have two segments today. One is a segment we like to call Chip In with Charlie. And unfortunately, I tried, I really tried to find the, what was it? Pickle? Fried pick, pickles with ranch. Fried pickles with ranch Lay's flavor. And I actually couldn't find any like specialty Lay's flavors. I don't know if I missed the window for it or Madison decided they just don't advertised care. advertised as a specialty Lay's flavor, though. It oh, was just in a regular bag. Oh, well, maybe that's why. I kept looking at end caps and... Yeah, I just found it mixed in with all the other Lay's at the local Kroger equivalent. Yeah, I saw the dill pickle Lay's and decided that, nope, that's a regular flavor, so it doesn't count. I won't try it. I won't force myself. I won't subject myself to that. So I did try to pick out something that I hadn't tried before. This is, so Cara's actually. Sour cream and onion. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Cara's actually gone right now. So I decided I was allowed to try the Ruffles Double Crunch Hot Wings flavor. So I'm going to warn anyone out there who doesn't like to hear chip crunching. You should probably just skip ahead about five or six minutes in the podcast starting now. Like, You're going to crunch for five to six minutes. <laughs> well, I don't know. It could Hell be anywhere yeah. in there. <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how I much mean, effort it's going to take to get through these. I think we had more crunching than that in the last episode, right? Impossible. I don't know how much of that's uh, going to make it to the final <laughs> test. Oh, that's true. That That's... That's I yeah probably not five to six minutes. I mean, it's almost like I opened it up. It's almost like corrugated cardboard, like level thickness, like a thin card corrugated or no thick thick one. (laughs) And they've really like uh, tightened the ridges too, so there's just like a lot of surface area in a tight air and tight region. So maybe the crunchiness just has to do with like how much chip is going into your mouth at a time. Like the more chip that's in your mouth, the more crunch. But then also they're thicker too. So, but I'm also worried that when I try this, like, am I going to be playing up the crunch? Like, I want it to crunch a lot, so I'm just going to be like, what's my standard for how hard I'm supposed to chew this? I didn't think this uh, through. So I think what you need is like a control batch. Oh, since I assume you don't have any other regular ruffles, I do not. Um, what you should do <laughs> is you should try different levels of intensity when you bite so like one where you really go for it and one where you try to be careful to just you know gently crunch and then one where you soak the chip in water before you bite into it okay that's really everyone's favorite way to eat (laughs) potato chips i've found well that's why they leave so much space in the bag so you can fill it with water yeah i also have i have two more points of reference we can use i have a crumpled up piece of paper that I can try gnawing on a little bit and like a padded envelope, plastic bubble mailer. I guess oh, I could also try good. to chew on. This Our, could turn right. into some good ASMR. I guess I endorse <laughs> this. <laughs> all right. So first, like the barely, barely crunching. It's also hot wing flavored. So I don't know how pleasant this is going to be. I mean, it's probably okay, but we'll see. Is that coming through? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was like <laughs> 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 the twice the area means twice the spice at the same time. Ooh. Oh. Is that the gentle crunch? That's the gentle crunch. So here's like, you know, I'm just, just eating chips. Just a guy eating chips. All right. 
Okay. Right. And then here's like a guy here's being... the water one. Oh, now we got to do water one? I can't do like... Okay. And then the last one will be like full on crunch. How long should it be in the water? It, you know, just enough to get it soggy. Yeah. All right. So like 10 seconds or so. Still pull yeah. it out without it falling apart. Right. <laughs> uh, that might be a while. It's pretty crunchy. Oh. Well, I'll just go for it now then. All right. Huh. So that's that's still crunch. really grungy. Yeah. It must I, be the hydrophobic outer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've also flavored my water in the process. <laughs> and then this will be like guy on the bus that you want to punch because they're chewing double crunch ruffles as loudly as I can. Okay. Honestly, I think gentle crunch was the worst one. <laughs> I think so. It's like trying was, to creep upstairs, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, you're trying to eat chips in secret in class. Right. <laughs> like, bust out my bag of crunchers real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try it one more time. <laughs> Just time to eat some corn nuts on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that the other day. I couldn't hear what I was watching. I was like, well, I don't want to wake up the neighbors, but I want to eat these corn nuts and watch TV. You can just pause between chews. I just, yeah. It's like, yeah, I just had to pick when to chew. Like, during, like, oh, there's not dialogue. Okay. And here is, um, <laughs> This is a crumpled up piece of paper that I was going to throw away, but luckily I guess I didn't get get to the trash can in time before the podcast. And you're chewing on this? Uh Uh-huh. I like this segment. (laughs) It's if I chewing with Charlie. (laughs) Chewing with Charlie. What are we going to chew today? It makes a better sound if you just kind of crumple it yourself. But I guess the the crunching of it doesn't doesn't do much. And then here's the mailer. Here's what it sounds like, just crumpling it itself. Uh, oh, I yeah, guess sure, I'll chew this, but bite into it. Get some pops going. Kara can never listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said this is almost too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a six minute yeah. segment. <laughs> I will edit it down to six minutes, so I was completely if accurate. Any of- if that makes it, we're gonna need a content, big content warning. <laughs> By the way, next, uh, I guess, Christmas present item. Mm-hmm. Look for uh, something inside a, a yellow Scotch plastic bubble mailer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, flavor, flavor is fine. I mean, it's kind of like it's not really super hot. Like it just like got spice down my throat was the problem. That could have been Are any we still spice. talking about the mailer? <laughs> that mailer was too spicy. <laughs> spicy. Put some of that bitter in on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I think anything. If you just, if you try not to crunch it, it gets crunchier. But I mean, they're they're hefty chips. Would you buy them again? No. I mean, I don't know. Do you find that the crunchiness of chips is like desirable? Like it's supposed uh, to not some, like, to a degree, right? Yeah. Like yeah. like kettle chips are better than no, this is true. regular chips. That's true. Well, that might have to do more with the thickness than the the crunch. But they're they're related, so they're inextricable almost. Right, but I'm saying the crunch isn't the selling point for it's a kettle incidental. chip. I think. Okay, okay, yeah. I assume people aren't buying kettle cooked chips because they're extra crunchy. They're buying them because they're thicker. I mean, there's all sorts of things. We just proven there's all sorts of things you can crunch on if you just want to crunch on something. Yeah. It doesn't have to be edible. Yeah, if you want that crunch, but you don't want to need to eat it. <laughs> all the crunch, none of the calories. The option, though. I look forward to the segments of Chewing with Charlie that are all about baby food. Mm. <laughs> just like, just gr- grotesquely like slurping puree. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a Slurpee gonna... from Seven Eleven as my control. <laughs> We're going to start with a, a boba tea straw, then move <laughs> down to um, an Arby's shake straw, um, to a regular McDonald's straw, 
to a the subway straw, <laughs> to a coffee stirrer, <laughs> to a, a piece of hypodermic needle. Just squirting uh, baby food into my mouth. Just, I need the thinnest stream possible. <laughs> All right. Segment number two. So it turns out my wife, Kara, wrote something that is going to be published in the New York Times magazine tomorrow. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Cool. And I wanted to share it with you. So are you all familiar with comedian, humorist, and uh, I guess PC, John Hodgman? Yes. Mm, no. Tell me about. Tell me more. Oh. <laughs> yes. Please stop. I don't need to know anything more. <laughs> well, okay. I know you are, but he has multiple projects he does right now. One of them is called Judge John Hodgman, where he has a podcast where he adjudicates, you know, usually like squabbles that couples have or you know disagreements between friends and family members. And Kara. And I had a disagreement that she actually submitted for that. And instead of saying, hey, you know, come on the podcast, he said, hey, I'm going to answer your dispute in my New York Times magazine column. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I will eventually send you a link to it. But I wanted to see, since it has to do with our, our kid, if we want to do a, a segment of Just Kidding with Charlie where you two tell sure. me your advice answering this question. And <laughs> oh, you absolutely. can try to decide. I thought that would be better 1, 000, than... 1,000%. And then at the end, we can tell, say what Judge John Hodgman said, which is the verdict that we have to go with. So unfortunately, I don't have to... But this, this one, I can't abide by what you say since it's already been settled in a fake court of law. Wait, so if we say what he said, but you can't abide by what we said, does that therefore mean that it's null and void? I don't know. I think that's one of those weird legal loopholes that uh, mm. brings the whole justice system to its knees. Ah, uh, okay. Fake justice system. <laughs> <laughs> Undermining the integrity of the fake justice system. <laughs> All right, so what's the uh, what's but, the conflict, Diamond? So yes, I'll put the link in the blog uh, for the New York Times Magazine. Judge John Hodgman on using funny voices while reading. So Kara writes... My husband and I have been reading The Fellowship of the Ring to our infant daughter before bed. We know she isn't getting anything from the story yet, but reading aloud has many benefits for her development, and it's fun for us. However, when my husband reads, he likes to do fun voices and sing the songs. I feel like a buzzkill, but I just want to hear the story. So that's the question. Do I, do I get to use funny voices and sing the songs in Lord of the Rings for the sake of my child, or is she not old enough to understand, and is it for Kara's benefit that I'm reading? Do you want the serious answer or the funny answer? Uh, both. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's what Judge John Hodgman does, basically. <laughs> the serious answer is probably that it's worthwhile for you to do the funny voices and sing because that exposes her to different ranges of voices and frequencies. And then depending on how one reads the book, right, the more differentiation in the speaking patterns and stuff, right, the easier that, that Celeste will acquire language. There's a reason that baby talk exists, right? That's not purely because people lose their minds when they <laughs> see children, right? Only in part. It's, well, it's a subconscious sort of reaction of increasing the, the range of the voice. It makes it easier for the child to pick up the language and separating the sound stream and stuff. That's why they have actually done studies where they show that parents will talk to their children and they'll have more exaggerated. They'll have basically more space between like the high and the low frequencies. So like, who's a good boy? You are. Yes, you are. You ate it all versus talking to their adult friends of like, Oh yeah, he, she ate the whole thing. We were so proud of her. And they found that, um, depressed parents have less range, uh, frequency pitch range. And so their children have a somewhat harder time acquiring language. That's a good answer. I mean, that's kind of what I thought. Car doesn't really get into my reasoning for wanting to do it. So that would certainly be my official in quotes reasoning for doing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't have a you know, I don't have a great reason, but I I just think that doing the voices and the singing the songs would be my ideal way to hear it, because that's what happens when I read it anyway. So when you hear someone read, you want it to sound as much like 
it would be in your head that's the most pleasant for you? You know, that's actually a good question. Because the process of like listening, I haven't really listened to a lot of books. But when I read, I really hear most everything that I'm reading. I think it almost like slows me down. But it's like I can't really not do it, especially with dialogue. So I think that that would probably be my ideal way to hear it. Although if it's different than what I would imagine, you know, it really colors the experience. If you decide that Aragorn should sound like he sounded in that one line all the time, you cannot wield it. Then, you know, <laughs> that would really color your your version of, of that character. So I could see the case for doing it as dryly as possible if it's like you were really, I guess, roll your own interpretation of the text. But... Since it's being read aloud anyway, I think you might as well go for it. To be far, fair to Kara, too. So some of it was obviously edited down. But then also, she was very generous in the way that she presented this. There were certain things about the way I was reading it, such as... I felt like I needed to put my own spin on each character. So that I didn't want to do them the same way as they were, say, in the movies. Because I thought that was too... Like, I didn't want to just copy that. I wanted to do something that was that was unique. And I don't think she necessarily appreciated that. <laughs> well, of course, this is all contingent on the quality of your voices. Right. That was sort of my question was, is this actually a question about funny voices or about you being bad at voice acting? <laughs> yeah, because I, I think we found... As I said, she was well, being generous in her presentation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, if your Gandalf sounds like this all the time, because I need him to sound different from Ian McKellen, and so I've given him this old-style transatlantic voice that might be weird. <laughs> or if, like, Frodo's profundo, you know? I think voices would... If you were you're reading the the Fellowship of the Ring, yes, we just it finished. Seems it seems like a weird thing to read to which, a child in the first place. I, I, yeah. If it was the Hobbit, it's yeah. almost like that would be made for that. But the, right. the Fellowship, it's it's got a very different tone. Whereas the Hobbit is like, if you're reading the Hobbit, that pretty much reads like a children's book. Like funny well, is, voices would be part of the course. Book. Well, that's true. It is. Uh, yeah, it's even got pictures and stuff. Right, and that plays into it too. And and is part of the question is that yeah we know that. She's not getting anything from it, per se. I mean, she's getting the benefit of having us read to her, but not understanding the story necessarily. So in a way, we're reading it for our sake, too. So we chose something that we wanted to hear. So at what point do you start reading it to her? (laughs) I think we may be... We're running out of time. I think we'd have to abandon the trilogy temporarily and read it right now. Yeah, as long as you don't do the voices for that one. (laughs) <laughs> or i guess you could do your own creative interpretation that might almost make it more scary <laughs> pennywise now has just like a yeah has soft dulcet tones <laughs> same song <laughs> okay. so do you and Kara trade off on the reading then yes we do so celeste is getting two very different interpretations of each character well, yes, in that car, car would not do the voices. Any voices at all? Yeah, she would just read while you would normally read. Like, I mean, obviously when someone's talking, you change your inflection slightly, but not like an accent or a unique voice for each character. Do you ever have to pause the reading to make sure that you're, to go online to make sure you're pronouncing the Elvish correctly? <laughs> no, but I do read all of the Elvish, including, <laughs> you there's like at least one Elvish song. too. There was at least like one Elvish poem or song that I read all the way through. Car, I'm not sure appreciated that either, but <laughs> that's the text, though. I didn't sing that, at least. Yeah, for the uh, like temporary injunction, I decided to stop doing the voices until we had uh, we had this adjudicated. Now you should continue to do the voices. If John Hodgman decided against you, you should overrule. You should appeal to the Gobeski Wallace Report Supreme Court. <laughs> Uh, I would love to. I'm not sure that that has any jurisdiction over my wife. (laughs) I'm sorry. Does she miss the word supreme? (laughs) Well, all right. I guess it's a Supreme Court of two currently, right? So Uh, how... how Two present at the moment. Two present. Okay. Does that mean that we need to adjourn and have it decided later or text and Um, await some replies? Or are we just hoping... We could just hope for a unanimous verdict. I'm I'm not even sure where I... 
I haven't uh, made my decision. Still in the question stage, huh? Still yeah. hearing arguments. Yeah. yeah. We haven't, we haven't I mean, I okay. Am I supposed to yeah, get more? Ar- I, I yeah, that's like... the thing. Are we going to go just on the paragraph that got into the magazine? Because that's all John Hodgman had. Or are well, we, do we have to really dig the, into this? That's the brief that got. The, that's the brief <laughs> that, that got the case on the docket. But now you get to do oral arguments. I think we're we're kind of really what we're doing is revealing a flaw in his methodology. Exactly. Um, I think John John Hodgman is can't be trusted unless he agreed with me. <laughs> we're putting him on the last. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can. I guess attempt to get something together eventually on the podcast but do you want to do like a like a temporary injunction or something well i guess we have to hear what the lower court's opinion was oh okay sure so john hodgman states confession i absolutely used my captive children to practice my bad british accents during our harry potter years but i wisely hid this crime from my wife for you are right the time will come soon when your daughter is old enough to appreciate her dad acting like a weirdo but until then he is reading for you and he should mind his audience. Not a lot of marriages will survive a husband doing a full Gandalf, you shall not pass scream. Never mind the Tom Bombadil song. I mm. I think you were right to bring this to appeal. Oh, well, well thank you, Your this Honor. This will merit further discussion. Oh, the, the article is up, by the way. Oh, yeah. I was going to send you a link, but I didn't want you to know the answer before. Oh, no. uh... oh sorry. Yeah, I was out there peeking. Oh, <laughs> I wanted you to make an independent decision. But you're right. You know, lower court's opinion is uh, completely relevant. Why do you both have to be present when the reading happens? Because we do it as we're putting Celeste to bed. So I guess we don't necessarily need that, but she's currently sleeping in our room. So one of us would have to leave our own room. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for that to be Kara, because often she's feeding the baby at the time. Mm. I mean, I mean, yeah, this is just fact-finding at this point. You're, you're gathering information, but we'll have to. That's right actually get the uh, plaintiff in here i think you need to consider celeste's uh, development in the process i think she'll benefit from funny voices and and, and, what, and excessive elvish <laughs> yeah and don't be the guy who who does like soft seas or something like that you know don't be the guy who says celeborn oh uh, yeah i know it was me and then we watched after we finished so we finished the fellowship and then watched the movie afterward and i was like celeborn Ah, yeah, I've been doing it wrong. I know. Or when you say Mordor, you have to do it in that, like, you have to really hit those R's properly. Mordor. Mordor. I think they're uh, like uvular R's, I think. Like French R's. Mordor. 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 Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to decide soon because at some point the decisions are the same, right? He says that I eventually can read to her like that. So we have to figure this out soon so that I get that little bit of time where I wasn't allowed to do it. Seriously, though, read the Hobbit tour or Harry Potter. <laughs> Additionally, Kara has not fully read through the books. She's, I think, maybe read the first one, but I think not the other two. So that's the other impetus for for doing this. I feel like for couples reading out loud to each other books, I always found the shorter the better because boy, right. you just can't burn through them as fast. No, oh, no, yeah, yeah. Like when I would read stuff to Brienne, I'm like the phone when we were long distance, right? Like I'd pick a short story and I was always amazed at how much longer the story was than I thought when I was had to read it aloud. <laughs> so it feels to me like Lord of the Rings, you're going to be there until she's four. Uh, we got through the first one in about three months. So we just started yeah, on only this. be only because Kara insisted that you stop reading it properly. <laughs> <laughs> in Elvis, you actually draw out the vowels. To about 35 times the usual length. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Galadri. That's the other thing about reading Lord of the Tolkien to her. You're going to throw lots of weird words at her. Oh, we had to look up a couple of them. Do you know what a a sword is? Like S-W-A-R-D? Maybe you do. Sward, sward, yeah. Uh, I would need, I would need the context of the. Is that sentence. like a? Is that like a description of land? I feel well, like there's yeah. like a lot of. Those it's. There <laughs> it is. I mean, if it's some descriptor I don't understand, it's probably about the landscape. He spends <laughs> right, a lot like, of time describing slopes. <laughs> well, that's because 
part of the thing is Tolkien is making a conscious effort to create essentially a English version of like the Norse epics or something. Mm-hmm. So because he wants it to be specifically English, he is straying away as much as he possibly can from Latin origin words. Ah. Which is why you get words like sward instead of meadow or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He wants words that have roots in Old English rather than in Latin from the Norman conquest, right? He's trying to do something pre-1066. Wow. Yeah, that's it's actually really, it's a really fun read just to read out loud. And it's very surprising, especially since having seen the movies, how much time he spends describing the landscapes and the travel and how little time he'll spend describing battles. Or if he does it all, often it's like, they came back and described the fight that they were just in. Yeah, it doesn't. The big battle in The Hobbit, famously, Bilbo gets knocked out and misses it. Yep. (laughs) So next question. Mm -hmm. When will you read The Silmarillion to her? Oh, that one you have to wait until she's old enough to comprehend. No, you don't. (laughs) We just established that that was not the point of it. I guess that's the next one in the in the series. Well, I guess maybe we should go back to The Hobbit. So go back to The Hobbit, then read Two Towers, Return of the King, then The Cimmerillion. Have you ever read it? I have not. I heard it's very dry. Yeah. Uh, kind of reads like the Old Testament, I feel like. It does. It really does. <laughs> the parts that he had a chance to sort of revise before he died actually read pretty well, but there's not a lot of that in there. <laughs> and there's lots of... Because of the way he set up Elvish, right? Um, all the the characters have like is it Elvish or is it Man at that point? I can't remember. But all I remember is a bunch of the characters have names that are like two syllables that start with like F E and end in R, and you're supposed to keep track of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess three syllables, just like Feanar and Feanir and Feader, and you're just like, wait, who is this? Because he's so invested in creating the world that he hasn't thought about how one would actually read this. <laughs> but yeah, I was worried about Kara submitting that to the podcast because having listened to it many times, I knew it was the exact sort of thing that he would choose. So I was kind <laughs> of like, oh, okay, well, he chose to do it in the magazine. But then I was also pretty sure that Kara was pretty sure I was going to win, but I was pretty sure she was going to win. <laughs> well, we don't know yet. We haven't heard her argument. That's true. To be continued. Yeah. We'll have to reconvene the Gobeski Wallace Report Ultra Mega Supreme Court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is the court adjourned then? Uh, oral arguments are done for the day. All right. Great. Um, gavel sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, did you guys have anything else? Uh, I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast yet that I, uh, I finished phase one of the Star Trek bit of the website. Oh, nice. I could have sworn oh. you were going to talk about your dissertation. <laughs> Hey, I feel like I've mentioned that. Okay. (laughs) I sent it off to my committee yesterday, so now it's officially out of my hands. Nice. Until I formally defend it in a couple weeks, but yes. But yeah, I've uh, I've covered every episode of the the original and animated series on on the website. So it's an excellent time for everyone to go revisit it if they haven't seen it in a while. It's it's now complete. Yeah. Now it's now it's on to the movies. How what was your favorite of all the episodes you've seen so far? Well, I mean, of all the episodes, I guess you've seen them all unless you start going to uh, TNG or something. Well, that'll be we'll get there. Okay, that's that's sort of the overarching goal is to get through all of it. That's the lifelong ambition. But uh, I'm going to be going to be super lame and just say the trouble with tribbles because it's yeah, it's 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 not an exciting answer, but it's uh, it's I think the right answer. I remember the comedic elements of it, but is there good dramatic elements to it, too? I just don't remember. I remember Quadra Triticale, mm-hmm. and I remember somebody off screen throwing tribbles at William Shatner. I mean, I guess I don't know how dramatic it is, but the plot's like, um, it's set up really well. Like, there aren't really any noticeable plot holes where you're just like, wait, what's going on here? Right? Like, it's plotted pretty tightly. It's always entertaining to watch. Um, just about every one of the regulars gets like uh, something to do in the episode, which is nice. So, and frequently is not the case. Yeah. Perhaps the one criticism is that Kirk is slightly out of character from the rest of the series. He seems occasionally a little slower on the uptake than he would otherwise be, but yeah, it's not a major flaw. All right, cool. Well, everybody go check out the website again. Yeah. And 
I guess for another episode of the Gobeski Wallace Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and thanks to our guests, Paul Wilcox. Thanks for having me. And the original Francisco Munez IV, wherever he got to. <laughs> and <laughs> whoever he is. <laughs> if that is indeed his real name. And we, we hope you'll join us next time when we cover Captain America 3, the first Avenger. <laughs> That's what it's called, right? That's as far as I'm concerned. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you check us out. Don't forget you can visit our website at www.gobeskywallacereport.com. Also, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so make sure to look for us there for extra entertaining bits. You will be entertained. Possibly. Wait. So you're definitely entertained, but only possibly entertained. Well, I don't want to get sued for false advertising. <laughs> By the way, Paul, you never responded to my uh, my text about my new character. Oh, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good character. <laughs> I... Wait, what? What character so, is this? <laughs> I'm working a new character. His name's Glenn, spelled with two N's, but his friends call him by his nickname, Glenn, with one N. Because <laughs> it's a nickname, so it's shortened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I like it. It's... <laughs> it actually came up in a trivia question on Wednesday. It was something like, what's the nickname of NASCAR racer Glenn Roberts? And it was Glenn spelled with two N's. And I told them that the answer was Glenn spelled with one N. <laughs> and then I told them the real answer, which is Fireball. But um, one of the uh, the waiters really liked that joke and kept just like bringing it up the rest of the night. Also, before you guys leave, I wanted to point out, I just drank some of my water. It's It's completely ruined now. <laughs> it tastes like buffalo flavor <laughs> buffalo flavored water just, just like a gentle buffalo fart like <laughs> like you washed a dish that had uh, buffalo wings on it <laughs> and without then drank, soap without soap and then drank it yep <laughs> well i admire your commitment to the bit <laughs> yeah but there were just so yeah, many crunchy really things around beyond today i i I wasn't ready for your level of commitment. <laughs> Do you think you'd be uh, discussing invisible oil on the podcast, Paul? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's when why he agreed like, to Let's come. Let's do a podcast today. You were like, okay, I've got this topic about invisible oil. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the moment. Yep, yep. Oh, no, I did not uh, see this. see this coming. <laughs> These are the, yeah. <laughs>